The following audio is from Axe Church Northwest in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit axechurchnorthwest.com. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. It says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. This is the scripture that will be uh, basing our sermon off of today. But before we do that, I invite everyone to stand up. And we really want um, all people of all ages uh, to be able to hear the gospel in, in a way that they can make sense of it. So we are going to invite our, we're going to pray over our kids right now. We'll, adults or adultish type people, um, you can stay in this theater and our kids are going to go over to theater one and have kids club. So if you have a kid, you can place your hand on them. Or if you have a kiddish type person, place your hand on them. We're going to pray over them as they go to worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to dig into your word and see what it means for us in the, in the life that you give us in your word. Be with our children right now as they go off into worship. Would you drive into their hearts a deep, deep knowledge of you and a deep, deep love for you? Give us all hearts uh, and faith like children so we can follow and trust and hope in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, kids, you can go over to theater one, and everyone else can have a seat. I was looking at this uh, kind of graphic. It's kind of our sermon series header for this series, and I was like, which one is hope? Like, which one is hope? Which one of the emojis is hope? The red one, it's pretty easy to figure out. This one... I didn't know if it was embarrassment or like excitement or a wow, so I, I still don't do that. But I think it's probably one of those over there. I don't know. You guys will have to figure that, that out for hope. But uh, as we look through emotions, uh, hope uh, comes up throughout the Psalms. And, and there's kind of hope that that's involved with royalty in the Psalms. The Psalm writers are waiting for something. They're hoping for something. And if you know the story of, of Christianity or the Bible, it's all about Jesus. So if you want to like, just, you know, put your mind aside for the rest, just remember Jesus, okay? Um, but, but hope is important for all of us. Uh, and there's different levels of hope, right? So I've been seeing on the tech blogs and on YouTube that everyone's hoping for certain things on the new iPhone. They're like, oh, it's going to happen in September, and it's the 10th anniversary of when these little devices came out. And, and all these people are like, ooh, I'm waiting for this. I, I'm hoping for this. And the Android people are like, we've had that for three years. 
Come along now, people. Some people, if you're traveling, like many of our people are, they're like, if you're in an airport, it's, I hope I make my connection. Or I hope I make my flight. Or I hope TSA is short instead of long. I hope for that. If you didn't eat breakfast this morning and you're smelling, uh, afterwards you'll smell a bunch of popcorn. But if you're smelling the Indian food, you might be saying, I hope we go here for lunch. Or I hope they have this for lunch. Or if you're working, maybe it's, I'm hoping for that promotion. I put the work in. I'm just hoping uh, that it comes to fruition. Hope is really a good thing, but it also can be tricky, right? Because when you're, when you're chugging along with hope, sometimes it can go headlong into reality. And, and a lot of times, when, when reality hits, we don't really say that in like the most positive connotations. Like, oh, reality hit and my hope is shattered or my hope is broken or maybe for a time my hope is crushed. And that can be rough, right? I mean, we all go through seasons of life where our hope is kind of diminished. When I was young, girl, I uh, lived in Pennsylvania for a hot second. It's a real quick touchdown in uh, Pennsylvania. But what I remember from that, there are memories. We, we went to um, Washington, D.C. And I went to Washington, D.C., a fair amount as a young kid. And one of the things I remember of Washington, D.C., especially at that age, was one place. It wasn't the White House. It wasn't the Washington or Lincoln. or It wasn't Monticello. It wasn't any of those things. It was the National Air and Space Museum. Has anyone here been to the National Air and Space Museum? Yes. You guys know what I'm talking about. They've got the gift shop with the crazy brick ice cream, the freeze-dried stuff. But you walk in, and as like a four or five, six-year-old, you walk in, and oh my goodness, there's these marvels of engineering. There's planes, and there's aircraft, and you walk around, and you see these like spacesuit-looking things because it's saying, hey, this is what aviation and space travel looks like. And after that, there was like a season of life where I wanted to be a fighter pilot, right? I had these little planes, and I would play with them. They were metal, and... Uh, I would fly them around my room. And it was, I had this hope of being a fighter pilot until the second grade in Mrs. Buffington's class because I couldn't see the chalkboard. And they thought I had like behavioral issues and that might have been the case, but I just couldn't see the chalkboard. And I was like, I can't see this. I'll talk to this person. And I learned after going to the Air and Space Museum a handful of times, that I can't be a fighter pilot if my eyes aren't like tip-top shape. So my hope at the young age of seven was a little bit dashed that I wasn't going to be able to fly planes. And there's this spectrum, right? Because we have like hope in little kid hope being a fighter pilot, but then there's like hope in really desperate situations. Hope... uh, that, that if this doesn't work out, my hope's going to be crushed and my heart is going to be crushed as well. And that's a reality that we're in. Um, I invite you guys to uh, open up your phones or your Bibles to Psalm 96. And we'll go through this and kind of touch back and forth so you can keep it open or, or whatnot. But these first three verses are going to get us started. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. 
Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. There are certain parts when I'm reading scripture that it just seems maybe a little more Disney than my reality, right? Where it's like, if you read the book of Ruth and you see this scene uh, where Boaz, he's an awesome, we're going to have to talk about Ruth sometime because this story has kind of captured my attention and I've found, we'll just, we'll just talk about it. A couple months, we're going to talk about Ruth. Boaz with his workers, they basically bust out in song and they're singing praises because they're like, hey, God's put this awesome guy and he's our boss. And so they're having a little worship service because Boaz is an amazing boss. And I'm like, there's some life lessons to be learned about that. We'll talk about that in 2018. But in that and, and right here, they're breaking out in song. That doesn't happen in my life. That only happens in musicals that I watch. Rarely. But, but, but you just see that and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. The, the closest thing that I can think of when people breaking out in song is I, I had a, a grandpa on today's Father's Day and remembering, I was kind of chewing through some stuff and, and my grandpa would bust out whistling. You know, he'd be walking around and he'd be, or he worked in a, a garage and he'd be like torquing down lug nuts and whistling. Or he would, what I really remember him whistling was there was a kind of utility room where he'd clean all the grease off his hands and he'd be whistling as he washed his hands. And I'm like, this dude is breaking into song just washing his hands. And it seems like in the Psalms and throughout the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, people are just breaking out into song. And that's a bit strange because I don't see that. And I don't know if you see that. Uh, so we're going to approach this not by just breaking out into song. Good. Because that's weird for me and maybe you. And you don't want to hear that. Uh, so we're just going to ask some questions of this Psalm and kind of go through it that way. So first question is, who sings this song? Who sings this song? Well, let's look. 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. They must have been singing before and breaking out into this spontaneous song before, but, but sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Well, way to go, guys. If you were here on time, and I, I know because I saw people coming in. If you were here, you were singing with Lori and with Phil. You were a part of all of the earth singing. And that's a good thing because it's, this is what we're meant to do. Maybe not break out in a spontaneous song, but, but to break out in praising, singing a new song about God. But there's this moment on Palm Sunday where Jesus is rolling into town and he said, if they don't praise, then the rocks are going to cry out. A couple weeks ago, we talked about awe and song, psalms of praise. And we looked at pictures of where everyone's going. That picture of the Mueller's with that lake and those snow-capped mountains. Oh my goodness. I Seriously, right now, hairs going up. And maybe you've experienced places or are about to experience places where it's just like, yeah, creation is singing your praise, God. 
Because who sings this song? We sing this song, but he uh, has created things that sing about his glory. Number two, what is this song about? What is this song about? Let's go to verse two. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. There's two things in there. Among the nations. This psalm might have been written around a thousand BC, before a thousand years before Christ. And there's there's something in that little word, all nations, that God wanted his glory and his fame and his mercy and his love to be spread, not just after Jesus came, but he wanted his people to share that with all nations. And you and I in this theater right now are a result of that, of all nations hearing about his glory and forgiveness and love. And it also says all peoples, all people in all nations. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you smell like, how much money you make. It's he wants everyone to know because we're all made in his image. But what are they supposed to know? It says, sing to the Lord, uh, sing to the Lord, bless his name. And it says, tell of his salvation. I think I skipped ahead. Tell of his salvation is where we're at. Um, I came from a campus ministry background uh, before I was a pastor. And while I was training to be a pastor, I had five years of campus ministry experience. And I get all sorts of fun questions from uh, very honest 18 to 22, 23-year-olds about Scripture and about Jesus and about how does this all fit in together. And they would ask, there would be a couple of uh, things that would percolate to the top. Dating relationships, sometimes money, and uh, family, right? The ones, it was interesting, because the people that were asking about money were the, the ones that it was, they were, they were already thinking like 20 years into the future. They're like, okay, if I line things up here and do this here and do this here, I'm living on the lake someday. And it was, and other people, I would sit and have these conversations and other people would kind of come up and they're like, I, I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. And it was just fascinating to watch different groups of people and what came up. Relationships were huge. Hey, what happens when this falls apart? Or what happens when I can't, the, the joy bubbles up so much that I got to make this relationship Facebook official, okay? Where we're not just dating, but we're dating for all of the internet to see. And, and I'd get this question from some other people, and they say, hey, I thought this was supposed to be like the book of life and to have all the answers for me. And I'm like, no, well, yes and no. This isn't going to tell you what to write on like your email to your prof because you skipped class for a week. But that's why God gave you a brain and the Holy Spirit to like guide you and instruct you and push away the devil and have you kind of chase towards Jesus. But what I did say, and any time that would come up, would be, but, but this book has the biggest questions in life answered. It's got the questions of hope and life, like real, true life, abundant life. It's got the questions of forgiveness answered. And I grew up in a very loving Christian home. Um, and so forgiveness 
was normal to kind of understand, but as I kind of see it now and see things around and society and culture and all those things, I'm like, forgiveness is not a high-level topic. Revenge is pretty, pretty high, or getting my own or getting back, that's pretty high, but forgiveness is not as elevated. But that question for you and I has been answered. Salvation has been answered. And when I say salvation, I don't just mean uh, salvation and then you're done, right? I mean salvation from something and salvation to something. And this is all throughout Scripture. Noah, way back in beginning parts of Genesis, saved from, him and his family saved from a flood, and they were saved to a promise, Right? Saved to a promise. Uh, The Israelites, when they were in slavery in Egypt, they were enslaved over 400 years, and they were saved from Egypt, and they were saved to a relationship with God, but to a promised land. You and I are saved from death and to life. From this to that couple of things that hope looks like. Uh, Hope looks at what is wrong. We we talked a couple of weeks ago about revenge. That was the angry face, (laughs) the the red face. Hope looks at what is wrong, and it yearns for what is right. It holds on really, really tightly to what is right, and that's what hope holds on to. But, But it looks at what is wrong, and it can kind of evaluate that and say, this isn't right. But, but it's open. You don't hold on to what's wrong. You hold on and you yearn. You look forward to what is right. And some people might say, well, this looks like a wish, right? And a wish is a pleasant desire. And it can, it can be in the past tense or it can be sometimes in the future tense. But hope isn't a wish. Hope yearns for what's right. And that's how they're different. So, who sings this song? All the earth. What's this song about? Salvation. But who hears the song? Who's hearing this song? This is what I was getting into a little earlier. All nations and all people hear this song. And why do they need to hear this song? Because hope is like oxygen for our lungs. Because when we're hoping in something that's real and true, it's tapping us, it's yearning for something to be made right. And if, we've, if God has designed us in his image, yearning for something that's right looks like life aligning closer to him. There's a, you can kind of look at this a couple of ways. Um, hope, when, when people are... are there, there's two different like, ways we use hope. One is giving hope. And giving hope is, is what, it, it, it's almost inescapable. When somebody's offering you hope, everyone kind of like leans in a little bit. There's another type of person that can extinguish hope. And it might be true, but, but it just kind of like, that's not, ugh, that's just not, don't bring that around me. If there's anyone who watched TV in the 70s, uh, there is a certain character who was a racist bigot who extinguished a lot of hope, and his name was 
Yeah. All right. Archie Bunker. A master at extinguishing hope. You can have, he might have been, I'm not going to say that, but even false hope, if you're giving someone hope, is palpable and kind of makes you lean in. Look at our elections, the past couple of elections. In 2008, November of 2008, there were a lot of people that said, yes, we can. Yes, we can. I don't want to get into politics or whatever. Both sides have their junk. Both sides have some okay stuff. But, yes, we can was giving people hope. It was giving people hope. Barack Obama uh, dealt in hope, and that's what he offered the American people. 2016, I don't want to get into politics. Both sides are right and both sides are wrong. Jesus is right, so that's who we're going to follow, and that's we're citizens of heaven. But he says, be a part of your political process. But Donald Trump became the president. What did he say? Make America great again. Make America great again. What was he peddling? What was he offering to the people? Hope. Hope. It might have been like to different segments or, or they might have been focusing on different people or, or people groups or offering hope in different areas of the country, but both of them were offering hope because hope is a powerful, powerful thing. For the Christian, our hope isn't in a leader on one side or the other. Our hope is in the gospel, right? Because when we yearn for that, it reminds us of where we came from or when we first experienced that, it taps into something that, that's not just in our head, but it taps into something like that's to our core who we are. And people might have a lot of beef with the church. Like I know the stats, uh, I can rattle them off for you. But, but people, when they see the hope of Jesus, it kind of supersedes their beef with the church. Because hope is beautiful. It offers life and, and wholeness to society. It offers life and wholeness to families. And it offers life and wholeness to our entire world. Because restoration and peace and, and reuniting is a central part of, of the gospel, of Jesus putting all things back together again. And so if that's what it looks like, what does the devil try to do? The devil offers false hope. C.S. Lewis talks about uh, in the screw tape letters, uh, he's like, hey, if we can get them focused on something just a little bit less than truth or hope, then we've got them, right? We've got them. He's like, I just want to make them content with something that's not true or something that's been shaped or misformed a little bit. And I'm going to go out on a limb um, here and talk about our brothers and sisters in the Christian church and say, sometimes we get off the rails. If we're on a little two-lane road, the, the goal is to stay on the pavement and not in the ditch. And this is what it looks like sometimes. On one side... The ditch of the ditch is, uh, and let me just give me a little room here, are, are churches that are theologically a little more liberal, 
okay? Not politically, but theologically. They look at this, and instead of this shaping the person, they shape the Bible, all right? I have deep, I have amazing friends who are a part of churches like this. And some of these churches do a really, really amazing kingdom-oriented things, but there's a bent where, you can, where it gets dangerous. When the, the tire's on the shoulder, on the rumble strips, and it could flip. And that's when churches put a hope in their cause instead of a hope in their Christ. That's on one, one segment of our brothers and sisters. The other side is way over here. And they look at this and they say, hmm, the Old Testament had 613 laws involved. Micah, down to three. Jesus said, hey, there's two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And they look over there and they just scowl. These people over here, they're like, you guys are just terrible people. And these people over here are like, you're hell-bent for destruction. Boom. And, but where you hit the rumble strips on this side is where you take this book and you take out the freedom and you take out the abundant life and you replace it with rules. And you replace it with, it has to be this way and it can't be this way. And sometimes fundamentalist churches have a heart for people to live an amazing Christ-centered life. And sometimes the sins of fundamentalist leaders turn into the binding rules for their congregations. What one person's uh, safe boundary is, is another person's bondage. So, we don't want to be on this side. Because this side, that side was hope in a cause instead of hope in Christ. This side is hope in rules and hope in structure instead of hope in Christ. So what I want us to do is be right down the middle. I want us to serve really well and have causes that are based in Jesus. And I want us to navigate life honoring God. So let's let our hope be in Christ and not be just a little bit lowered by other things. All right. That was a tangent. Uh, Back to Psalm 96. We didn't read this when we read it before, so I want you guys to to look at this now. Verses 11 through 12. It kind of taps in and echoes what we've already talked about with the whole earth. It says, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then, the, all, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Spontaneous musical singing. Sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. What I think the psalmist is doing here is not being ignorant, Okay. Because the psalmist knows that not everything is right. He can see it over here and say, that doesn't look right, but I'm yearning for this. So he says, not everything's right here. The trees and all of that are singing, but not all the people are. And he's saying, but, but God's going to come. 
and he's going to judge in righteousness. He's going to make things right again, how they were originally supposed to be. And, and we know that Jesus comes in grace and in truth. And for a lot of us, truth is hard. The truth of a seven-year-old learning, oh man, because of the fallen world I live in, my eyes are not going to let me fly in F-16. That stinks. It's trivial. But well, not at that point, but now it is. But, but you guys, we all deal with hard, hard things. Jesus dealt with some hard stuff. Um, I like to think of this as... Uh, Jesus' kind of movement hitting a hitting rock, and I would be, the wind would come out of the sails at this point. But, but Jesus kind of knows what's up because he generally does. Uh, but in John chapter 6, he had done some amazing things. He fed about 5,000 people, probably more. He walked on water. There's signs, there's wonders happening. A crowd is following him. And it's like, oh man, this thing's about to roll. We're going to take over, right? But then the teaching got hard. The teaching got really, really hard, and people were gone. So Jesus turns to his disciples, his buddies, and he says, what about y'all? Y'all out too? Are y'all going to leave too? And Peter, the guy who's known for putting his foot in his mouth over and over and over again, says one of the most beautiful things in the New Testament. He says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Are y'all going to leave? To whom shall we go? You've got the words of eternal life. And we've believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. This teaching is hard, but where else can I go? Right? You're our only hope. That's where Peter lands. That little verse is in a in a little prayer book that I use daily. And it's one, it's the, one of the lines that catches me more often than not. Because sometimes when you use a prayer book, uh, the words can become rote, but sometimes the Holy Spirit like brings a little phrase up. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's like, where else am I going to go? It's with you. It's with you. And my encouragement for you... Um, is that when you're going through the hard stuff is to remember that. Like we all have hard prayers. Uh, God, heal this person. Save this person. Why is my kid or the person that I grew up with not following you anymore? Why not me instead of them? When you have those hard, hard prayers, cling to Jesus. He's our real hope. He's got the words of eternal life in pain, in death, in confusion, in sorrow, and in everything. So three things. We'll be done. Three things. Let's just see, okay, what does hope give us? All right. Three things. Thing one, hope gives comfort. In painful times, who's got the words of eternal life? He does. If we can kind of wrap our heads around that every day as it comes up, that our God will deliver us, that can bring comfort. In times of struggle, it reminds us that, that things here are temporary and that he has us. And at the end of life, your hope, if you're a Christian, is in another life. This is one of those topics that I kind of realized as I was prepping this doesn't come up 
as often. Like some people, there are some, and that's probably reactionary. So let me just tell you why why it doesn't. There are some streams. I'm not trying to beat up on Christians this week, but let's just say this. There are some ideas with Christianity is that, hey, what it means for me to be a Christian is you stamp the book and I'm just waiting to die, right? And why I haven't talked about that as much is because I think abundant life starts when you meet Jesus and you can have fullness of life and life more aligned with where he's at when, when you're, like what we say here, when you know that you're loved by God and know that you're sent by God. So, so that's what happens now, but, but this life is whew, a vapor, right? It's, it's here and it's gone. So there is a very true reality that when you get to the end of your life, you are hoping and you are waiting for life with Jesus without all the bondage and results of sin here. And that should give us hope. So I don't, I don't want you guys to think that we're only focused on, on this time. It's good to be focused here, but it's also, it can help to kind of look towards the future. Number two, hope gives direction. Hope gives direction. Who here has heard about uh, reverse engineering something, whether it's your life or a project or, yeah, yeah. So reverse engineering, I think it's awesome. Sometimes just for mental fun, I go down that rabbit hole and it's just kind of fun. What would it take to go boom, 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 boom? Uh, in, in 2000, well, about seven years ago, I was at the end of a mission trip in Nicaragua. And a lot of times at the end of a mission trip, either at the front end or the back end, you might have like a day or two of rest where you debrief and, and just kind of, I don't know, see something fun in the area. And we were at a beach in Nicaragua and I was reading a book about reverse engineering your life. It's like, hey, if you want this result, then how do you work backwards to get there? And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And it, it has shaped a lot of how I kind of look at things and everything. But then, I, again, I was thinking as I was doing this, I was like, this concept is not new. <laughs> this is God's concept. He's got a, like, he's got a plan for us. So, so long before I read this book or this idea came up in our culture, uh, the father, the good father, reverse engineered our life. He said, on the last day of your life, when you have life with me, you're going to enter into some place where I've already prepared everything and it's ready for you. And there's hope there. And his plan is to be with you and to love you and to hear you and to be happy with you when you need to be happy and to be sad with you when you need to be sad. And how did he enact that plan? He came to live a life for you he came to die on the cross to take away your sins. And then he rose to life so that you could have life. So your direction, where hope gives direction, is reminding us of where we're going. Third thing, final thing, hope gives us joy. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Uh, and... I'm just going to say this. I know we have at least one Cub fan in the room. The other one is not here. This is the life verse for every Chicago Cubs fan up until about last year. Rejoice in hope. Oh, there's always next season. Theo's coming. We're going to get there. Be patient in tribulation. 
Not going to touch on that. Be constant in prayer. Baseball gods just let us win a game or let us get to the postseason. And this hit me. I was like, I can't use the Cubs thing because they ruined it last year. They ruined all my good sermon illustrations. But I was listening to a soccer podcast. I love English soccer. And one of the, the guys, there's an optimist and there's a pessimist. And the optimist guy, his team won. And the pessimist guy, his team finished like mid-table. But a week after the season was over, I was like, I'll just see what they have to say. Kind of season recap. And the the pessimist guy was like, there's hope. Everton is going to do it next year. And he's like, there's only 86 days till it starts again. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Tap the brakes. Let's not get the countdown. Let's go to the beach. Let's go have a summer. And before you start talking about that, so I kind of just clicked it off. But there's hope, even for bad teams, at the beginning of a season. And for baseball teams, it takes about to July, and you're like, that's not, all-star break happens, it's not going to happen. Two months into the soccer season, you're like, there are some serious changes that need to be made. This isn't going to happen, but there's hope at the beginning. And where sports teams crumble in their hope, your hope, our hope in Jesus does not crumble because of who he is and what he has done. They put him on a cross, and then in a grave, and boom, he breaks out, and he's alive. That's hope that doesn't crumble. So put your hope in him. Invest your life into him. Trust him with your mind and your soul and your body and your strength by digging in to his word. And put all of your hope in the hard prayers, in the beautiful times when you're in awe, when all those emotions are hitting, put it in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Psalms, for giving us hope, and for reminding us that everyone or all of the earth is praising you. God, bring us into that journey of the earth praising you, and, and show us uh, new little revelations of what you're doing each day so that we can lean on you and trust in you and hope in you with our future. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio from Axe Church Northwest. To stay connected, visit axechurchnorthwest.com.